Welcome to the One Church Home podcast. This podcast is directly tied to our weekly teachings. If OCH isn't your home church, we encourage you to get plugged into your local body. We pray the sermon blesses you as we press into the Word of God together. So if you're, if you're just jumping in, if this is your first day ever, uh, we are pretty deep in an exploration of the book of Ephesians. I think we're on uh, week 16, and uh, I might just be confusing the tech team every week, sending a different week, but I'm not 100% sure. I think we're somewhere around week 16, and, and it has been this, this, this long journey in the same direction where, where we, I keep f- trying to find places to kind of hit the gas and accelerate us on through, and, and it's just, I'm gripped, and I, and I think that's part of the, of the series by just how much depth is in these books, that, that when you open up the book of Ephesians, you, you can just open it and read through the, the six chapters and, you know, get through it pretty quick, but man, is there just a richness and depth to what the Apostle Paul is instructing the early church. You see, the early church was, was all over the place. There's different cities, and so, so there's all these different letters. Some letters were written for correction, some reproof, some, some, were, some were telling people, hey, you're out of line, this is happening, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this, don't do this, don't do that. See Corinthians. There's other letters, though, that are, are far more formal, far more articulate, far more put together and kind of robust, and that's what Ephesians is. Ephesians is not a corrective letter that Paul's writing to the church to tell them to stop doing something or like, you know, hey, don't paint the walls that color, don't paint the carpet, you know. That's not what this is. He, he's not giving them, them instructions on bad doctrine. He's giving them an encompassing picture of what it means to be Christian. And remember, he's writing to a group of people, he's writing to the body of believers, to Christians, in a pagan city where the the main worship, the main attraction was the goddess Diana and her basically brothel temple that people would come and worship by paying prostitutes. Like that's how corrupt the society had become. It it probably doesn't look a whole lot different than modern day America. And so all of a sudden you have Paul writing this letter and it's not writing saying, hey, don't have anything to do with those nasty people. He doesn't say, you know, hey, da 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 just do this, do this, do this. He doesn't start with behavior. In fact, it takes him four chapters to even start talking about what to do. In the first three, all he does is reinforce who God is, what God has done, and what promises he's bestowed on your life. What, where those promises are hidden and how they're un touchable on the earth, that they're, they're reserved for heaven. They're in heaven. They can't be, there's no chance they could be touched by the corruption and brokenness of the world. So with that being said, he turns the page into chapter four, and he starts talking about how we are to operate our lives. He, he's talking about how we're to live. He says crazy things like don't live the way the people around you are living. Somewhere along the way, Christians have kind of abdicated the scripture and said, hey, we just want to blend in. 
The problem with blending in is you can't be a light. You can't be salt. The problem with blending in is that it's just not what the Bible tells us to do. Because the, because the Bible teaches us how we're supposed to live. And, and I think there's, there's two types of people in the world, right? There's, there's people that like good instructions, and then there's people that wing it. I've kind of been on both sides of that party on Christmas morning, you know? It's like, am I gonna try to figure this out with instructions, or am I gonna wing it? They're both terrible on that day, but... But the truth is, is like you either love the fact that there's a clear, rational way to, to, to operate, or it makes you feel um, bound up by uh, legalism. And so we, 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 we in the church, we've ten, tended to do this thing where we go, well, the Bible is just kind of, it's good, and it's beautiful, and it's articulate, and it's, it's lovely, and it's God's love letter to us and all that, but it's like, does it restrict you in any way on how you live? It's like, no, I'm free. It's like, well, you are free. But there is a right and wrong way to live your life. And if you don't accept that, then at some point you've put and placed your, your will in ways above God's, which is what a foolish person would do. That brings us all the way up to last week where, where Paul says, don't be foolish. Be circumspect. Live accurately in accordance to what God's word has instructed for our life. So that teaches us, that tells us that there is a way, you know, I think this is what's crazy. He's talking to Christians. He's saying, Christian, it's possible to be saved by grace through faith, and live a foolish life. And that should put a little fear of the Lord on your step. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So all of a sudden you go, man, I, I don't want to be foolish. I, I don't want to walk in, in my ways over God's ways. But the truth is, is, is if I don't stop down long enough and, and explore what this book says, or if I apply it in such a way as to say, well, that's just rules and regulations and God is not religious and God hated religion and da 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 It could be that you're justifying your own behavior because you don't want to surrender your will to God's. I, I, I don't want to be, like y'all, anyone that knows me well, like I'm a free guy. I love freedom. I love, I love you know, all that. But that doesn't mean that God's will and God's ways and God's word shouldn't direct the steps of my life. I wanna embrace freedom and liberty just like everybody else, probably more, like that's how I'm wired, but I fear God more than I want my own way. And we've gotta at some point go, man, this word to us, these instructions to us, he's not just blowing smoke. He's not just wasting words. He's not just saying, hey, Let's, I'll just write this one big letter and kind of, uh, you know, but it's not really applicable if you don't want it to be. It's just kind of do your thing whenever you want to do it, however. See, last week we talked about walking circumspectly, not as fools. What does it mean to walk circumspectly, to walk accurately? Again, the week prior to that, we talked about the anchor, kind of the pin. What is the litmus test or 
or the line in which we draw that says, hey, if I'm off this course on the map, I might have fallen or dipped my toe into foolishness. Well, he says that the fruit of the spirit of light is goodness, righteousness, and truth. Moral, ethical, and honest. If we start to operate in any capacity of our life, if we're starting to to, to wander around and we are falling off the the ledge of, of morality, if we're being immoral, unethical, or dishonest, that means that we have fallen and parted ways with God's will for our life. That's not, that's walking foolish. And so he says, hey, use this as kind of a, a guide, a marker, an end game, an end point to show you how to navigate life. And so for every Christian in every circumstance, always, we're supposed to operate in righteousness, in goodness, and in truth. And that means this truth has to be upheld with rigor, that we've got to hold fast to what this says, why it says it, how it says it, to make sure that we're walking this out in the right way and not walking foolishly. And he brings us up to this moment now where he's about to shift and start talking about something that is infinitely complex and difficult, and that is relationships. You know, he's gonna tackle little things like marriage, easy. Parenting and being a child. Family, simple. Nobody's probably had a struggle with that. He's gonna talk about slaves and masters, what maybe we would call bosses and employees. All of a sudden, he's gonna start talking, you know, nobody, does any, nobody has had any trouble at work lately, have you? He's gonna tackle these monumental, huge, paradigm-shifting relational that every human will encounter, right? Like, like you, hopefully you're gonna, you're gonna get married someday. You're gonna find a spouse someday. You're gonna, you're gonna navigate the waters of marriage. That's, it's complex. <laughs> Parenting, child, being a child. Not one person in this room is, is disengaged from that one. You know, I don't talk to my parents. That doesn't mean they don't exist. You didn't just appear. I've only heard of one guy doing that. He at least had one. <laughs> You should be working. You should be navigating the relationship of having a job and working for people, that, to, to a servant, to master, a leader, to manager, an employee. To, like we should, you should do that. That should be happening. Not one of us should walk, be able to walk out of here and not have all three of these at some level touching our life. And so Paul is paving a way. And I think if you can get those three right, you can get any of them right. I think if we can get those three healthy, that the rest of your life relationships are gonna be far more healthy because they're gonna, they're gonna touch every spectrum. But what I believe Paul is doing right here is he's shifting from going, this is who you are. This is how I've called you to live. You can't leave any of this behind. You gotta take all of it with you. But now we're gonna turn and try to figure out how as a Christian do I navigate the complexity of relationship with one another? The problem is, it's one another. 
There's more than just you. Relationships are complex because you can't control relationships. Y'all, I can try so hard, craft my words, say it the way I want it, try to just do this, and, and I'm a professional communicator, and I blunder things every single day with my wife. That's how complicated relationships are because I can't make my wife do exactly what I want whenever I want, however I want her to do it because why? She's a human, and I don't own her, and I don't own my kids. I mean, I own all their stuff, but like I don't own. But, but when you bring complicated people, well, you know, I said this at a wedding last night. I did marriage, what gets so many marriages wrong is people go, I'm gonna bring my half and you're gonna bring your half and we're gonna be a whole together. Good luck. You need to go to therapy. <laughs> like, it's a whole person and a whole person coming together to make a whole marriage. So that means I've gotta bring all of me. I can't, I can't bring half to the game and say, here's, here's my half. You better pick up the slack. You gotta be my blah, 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 blah. It's like we, we do that and you see that happening and you're like, this is bound for destruction. But a, but a healthy relationship is a whole person and a whole person. So God, through the, through the apostle Paul, has laid a foundation over here where we're going today, 17 through 21, and said this is the do's and do nots for every relationship we're about to encounter. This is the groundwork that has to be laid that is imperative. That again, you can't forget any of that. You know, and I, I don't know, I've got this huge analogy I'm doing on the stage. I don't know if you're in my brain, but, but this idea of I can't leave anything that's come before chapter five, and I can't leave anything that we're about to, to, to talk about on the table. I've gotta, I've gotta put all this into play, and then I can approach a healthy relationship, be it a marriage, be it a, be it a, 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 a family, or be it a job. So what does he say? Ephesians chapter five, verses 17 through 21. Therefore, you gotta ask what that's there for. Go back, all of that before. Don't be unwise. But understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving Thanks always for the things God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. I've identified right there two don'ts and four do's that I think when we start to, to, to look at this are the imperative foundation upon which we build Christian relationships. That means everybody in the room and everybody online needs to write them down and start thinking about, praying about, and implementing these instructions from the Apostle Paul. Because like, unless you have never seen anybody and never talked to anybody and won't encounter anybody ever and you live in a bunker in a hole somewhere and somehow are hearing this, <laughs> this applies to you. And, and y'all, we again have to go back to where I started. Are we going to say God's ways or our ways? No, 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 I don't need help with relationships. It's like, really? Because I sure do. I, I mess this up all the time. 
I mean, I'm a pastor of a church, and I, I mess up relationships constantly. And, and so I have to come back and go, all right, how does the word say to do relationships? Not my mind, not my emotions, not my feelings, not my, my good ideas. Like, what does the word say about how to navigate the complexity of relationships? The word is clear. It starts with these. I'm gonna go don'ts first. Don't be unwise. When I first heard of that, I just kind of scoffed at the Apostle Paul when I read that. I'm, duh. Gotta be smart. Problem is, that's not what he means there. I wanna go back a little bit. Does anybody remember your mom or dad saying something to the effect of when you lay with dogs, you get fleas? Was anybody told that as a kid? All right, we got four of you. That's great won't be that exciting of an analogy. But you think about it. You lay with dogs, you get fleas. That often came on the heels of me trying to justify why I wanted to go hang out with some really bad kid at school, you know, some kid who had had a terrible reputation. And I'm trying to explain to my parents, no, he's not as bad as you think. I, I, I know, I, yeah, I know he robbed a liquor store. It, it's just, we're nine, you know, he didn't know any better. And somewhere along the end of the conversation, she'd say something like, you lay with dogs, you get fleas. You will become like Ian, those who you spend the most time with. And that's one of those things, like I didn't know my mom was like brilliant, but like she was right. We do, it's human nature. We become like those that we spend time with. That's why I try to spend time around people that I wanna become like, because unintentionally, we do become like those people that we are intimately interacting with on a regular basis. And it's not always bad, right? The, the, the lie with dogs get fleas one would be a rough one to say about a mentor, but, but it's real. I mean, it's, I can show you an, a good example, a positive thing. My wife, I knew I had to find a lot of angles to try to get her to stay with me. I was like, I'm gonna get her parents to love me. And then they'll do the thing where they're like, I know, I know, you don't wanna, but we've chosen him for your husband. You know, it's like, arranged marriages work, uh, let's try it out. I just really liked her. <laughs> but, so we start hanging out, we start spending time together, we start uh, spending time with her parents, and one of the things we did was probably because we couldn't afford to go out to eat a lot, so on Saturdays, we would go out and hang out with her parents and we would watch Auburn football games. Her dad's an Auburn graduate, big Auburn fan. And it was great. We'd grill out, you know, they'd, they'd buy things that we never saw, you know, things like ribs and stuff. We'd be like, wow, this is fancy. Like, so we'd hang out all day and we'd watch the Auburn game and it just so happened that that was the year that Auburn went totally undefeated and they had a Heisman quarterback, and it was one of the most like, prolific football seasons I've ever watched. Like I'm a big-time football fan, and I just had never seen a team like this. It was so exciting to watch, so fun. And through the, through the series of events, 15 or whatever, 13 weeks in a national title game in a row of, of spending time with them, all of a sudden, I became like them. I became an Auburn fan. 
nobody made me, nobody asked me to be, nobody like recruit, like Aubrey didn't call and go, hey, we got an offer for you. I know you're doing big things up there in Nashville, I'd like you to be a fan. What's it gonna take? Let's get this deal done. Like nobody, Jerry didn't tell me, man, if you wanna marry my daughter, you're gonna have to, you have to get into Auburn football. I just, it was a shared, good, pure, honest relationship and, and we, it was joyful and we had something exciting to watch and, and through the process, I became like those who I was around. I became an Auburn fan. I bought a hat. I found myself in the next year watching games without anybody else. I was curious, I was interested, so, so I became like those who I was spending intimate time with. What does this have to do with wisdom? Listen to this definition of wisdom that this commentator shares. He says, wisdom is more than knowledge, even Bible knowledge, for it is knowing God, maturing in our relationship with him, and walking with him so closely and prospectively that we are enabled to develop a godly character, live thoughtfully, and make proper choices in life. See, wisdom is the intentional, intimate relationship with God that forms you and shapes you to walk like he walks, love like he, he loves, care for what he cares for, and do the kind of things he does. And so when he says, and the Apostle Paul is saying, don't be unwise, he is therefore saying that we need to walk in an intimacy with God, that he is gonna conform us and shape us into his image, and that through the process of walking intimately with him, he's gonna give us a heart that, is, that loves what he loves, that hates what he hates, that cares for what he cares for, that does the kind of things he does. And so there's this beautiful picture here that Paul's getting at. He's going, before we get into the complexity of all these relationships and, 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 and what I'm gonna challenge you to do, I need you to understand something. Don't be unwise, don't be disconnected, don't be separated from intimacy with God. If you separate from your intimacy with God, all of these things are gonna fall apart. So he's building, if these are kind of six steps, he's saying the first one is don't be unwise. Because the lack of intimacy with God, the lack of time with him, won't shape you into who he is and won't, won't make you love what he loves and care for what he cares for and do what he does. So therefore, relationships will suffer. Are we tracking here? So then he goes on. and He says, don't be drunk with wine, for this is dissipation. See, I believe the Apostle Paul had a prophetic awareness that when the human has healthy marriage, healthy family, and a healthy job, they are living the abundant life. I mean, I mean think about that. Of course, everybody wishes they won the big lottery last week, you know, the guy in Florida. Supposedly, they lose it all anyways. It's like, but you go, it's not about, you know, what person wouldn't be happy, wouldn't be satisfied, wouldn't be full if you said, man, do you have a healthy marriage? Do you have a healthy relationship with your kids? Do you have a job that you love and you're passionate about and you care? Like that person is gonna go, man, I'm, I'm satisfied. And I think Paul knew 
He was aware that those three things, these three relational components that, that are so imperative, so important, so fulfilling in someone's life would also be the most attacked, most warred against, and most fought for places in the human soul. That if he can get you dissatisfied with your marriage, if he can get you unhappy with your family, and if he can keep you in a job you hate, he can make you miserable every day of your life without, making, without lifting a finger. He can, he can get you so discombobulated and disoriented. He can make you walk in a lack of wisdom, not circumspect, and he can cause you to unravel your life on your own. And he knew that when these relationships, when those three places go really, really bad, that people start to do two things. They start to walk in a lack of wisdom. They start to operate in a way that separates from intimacy with God, and they try to fill their life with things that can't satisfy their soul, i.e. drunkenness. That when we start to, to have relational breakdown, we go to the worst place, do the worst thing, we do the most destructive patterns of behavior, not the things that are gonna draw us closer to him. And so all of a sudden, we, we see this, this take place. Like, it would be so much easier. I, I can't tell you as a pastor how many times I get asked, is drinking allowed? Are we allowed to drink? And you can often tell how they phrase it, like, do you drink? <laughs> is drinking the sin? Just tell me it's a sin and I won't do it. Or tell me I'm free or I'm leaving. And the reality is, is the scripture doesn't speak to alcohol. It speaks to the ramifications of using too much. That's drunkenness. I looked up the word drunkenness in the Greek. It means to be drunk. I was pretty frustrated with that one to be intoxicated and, and to, be, to be separated, which the, where this really helps is, the, is, the, is the, in, uh, the other phrase, which is dissipation, a wasted life of drinking. So, so, so what could that mean? What's that mean for us? It means you don't get to know the, the perfect answer to the question. The question isn't, is drinking allowed? It's how bad is drunkenness really? And drunkenness in the scripture is a major problem because it's a counterfeit life. Because it wastes life. It, it, it distracts and detracts and destroys that which God is doing in a person. It is connected to, to unwiseness. It is the two do nots of relationship. Don't try to fill what only God can with the things of this world. It will never work. What are the ramifications of drunkenness? Noah became drunk in his nakedness and acted shamefully in Genesis 9. Lot became drunk and his daughters committed incest with him, Genesis 19. Nabal became drunk in a crucial time and God took his life for it, 1 Samuel 25. Eli became drunk and was murdered by Zimri, 1 Kings 16. Benadad and all his allied kings came, became drunk and were slaughtered and only Benadad survived. 1 Kings 20, Belshazzar became drunk and had his kingdom taken away from him. Daniel chapter five, and the Corinthians got drunk at the Lord's table and people died for that. That was the punishment. 1 Corinthians 11. 
Drunkenness has always been associated with immorality, unrestrained living, and reckless behavior. It has no place in the life of the believer. And that's, that's not some rule. This is what so many times we've set these rules up as kind of guideposts and protectors. Hey, I'm gonna put kind of, that's the barrier. I'm gonna put a line back here to kind of keep me from ever getting close. Not a, that's, that's wise, that's smart. But it's gotta be rooted in relationship with God and let him instruct you in the ways of living and then tell you how to operate your daily life. Because their rules and your rules might not be the exact same, but wisdom is always good. And so we need to realize that, man, drunkenness destroys us. You could apply a lot of sins to this same principle. You try to fill your life with gluttony, wine, money, greed, all the, you put it, fill in the blank, all of those things. Does that mean eating is wrong or money is wrong? Or No, it means that the, the pursuit of that in lieu of God's presence is a farce. And so we've gotta go, man, what, I, I don't wanna go there, I don't wanna touch that because it destroys people's life. It disqualifies you, 1 Timothy 3, uh, uh, 3 and Titus uh, 1. You can't lead the church, you can't lead in any spiritual capacity if, if you're living in drunkenness. And then it goes on and it discredits people. We could read in 1 Peter, 1 Corinthians, and, and twice in 1 Corinthians, where it talks about discrediting people and, and not being around or not having anything to do with a drunkard or somebody who's consistently and habitually operating in that kind of behavior. So does that mean God just thinks drunken people are terrible? No, it means that when you subdue God's voice in your life by filling your life with some other kind of spirits, you have silenced God's will and ways in your life. And so the, the, if, if you're hearing this and you're going, thank God he's preaching about not drinking. I'd say, that's actually not what I'm saying. I'm saying, don't be drunkard. Don't fill your life with anything ever in lieu of a relationship with God. Don't, don't let yourself be, be so confused and and. Don't think that the things of this world can fill you. Why? Because you're not of this world. The things of this world are gonna, they're gonna go strangely dim in light of his, his glory and grace. And so all of a sudden, we've gotta realize something that, man, this isn't a sermon about drunkenness. It's just, it's a part of it. These are the two do nots. He says, don't be unwise, which is connected to don't then fill yourself with alcohol or any other thing that's gonna try to, fill the space that only God has in your life. For some people, it might be very wise to never drink again. But that should only happen in relationship to your relationship with God. If God tells you to do it, do it. I'm not saying you should try it. I'm not, I mean, just, it's irrelevant. It, it only matters that you're connected to him. And then trust him and listen to him and hear him and follow his voice, but what we know for sure is that going too far too often will destroy your life, period. So what are we supposed to do? There's four things, and I think they're set up. We're gonna, we're gonna be touching back on these in the weeks to come, but I quickly wanna kind of paint this picture. He says, don't do that, but do this. These four, first be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
That's, that's not a little thing. That's like the most important thing. Before you approach marriage, before you approach family, before you approach your workplace, before you approach anybody, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Pursue God, at, you know, and, and people, y'all, this gets so convoluted. Well, I think I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I came down here and I shook hands with the pastor. I said yes to Jesus. And some lady was praying. I didn't know what she was saying. And it just, I think that happened. Other people have been in a, in a, in a place or a, a, a part of life where, man, if you didn't say it in a certain way and speak in certain language, you, you weren't even, you didn't get filled with the Holy Spirit. You just got saved. What I know to be true is that scripture is clear. We are to be filled and continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And God isn't up in heaven wanting to give you a rock when you ask for bread. So how do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? Ask. What if it is that simple? And what if, the, what if we don't get to completely control God by expecting exactly what exa- what's that gonna look like? I've seen it look a lot of ways and I believe a lot of them are true. I think sometimes it's gonna look like a silent moment of intimacy with you and God where you trust in his goodness even though your circumstances haven't changed and you're not about a feeling, you're about a truth. And so I pray, God, fill me with your spirit. You said you wouldn't give me a stone if I asked for bread. Because I'm a child of God, I receive your Holy Spirit. And then I'm gonna... Yeah, I pray and I believe this is how, this is theological. I stand right there every week and I receive the Holy Spirit. Before I walk on this stage and I touch what, is, what God says is holy, I pray, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. You don't see me having conniption fits in the corner every week. You don't. I don't just roll out here on stage and just, because this isn't a circus. The word is true. And so if he's not gonna give, so I pray, God, fill me with your spirit. Fill me up again. One more time, God, to do the things you call me to do. Fill me with your spirit, oh God. To, to, to be the husband you call me to be. To be the father you call me to be. To be the pastor you call me to be. Fill me with your spirit, God. And then trust that he will, and he is, and he did, and he's doing. Just because it didn't, Look like you thought it should look because you watched an infomercial once. Like, trust the word. And then he says, do this other thing. Speak to one another in psalms and spiritual songs. I'm like, Apostle Paul, what? Like Buddy the Elf up here. Tony, good to see you. God is faithful and true. You know, it's like, I don't know what that means. You know what I think it means? Through studying and pouring my heart over this, to to looking at this, what does it mean that that we're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means we're supposed to worship together. Think early church. Early church didn't have one service time once a week. It said they gathered daily in the temple and then house to house they broke bread and made merry. They sang spiritual songs. They worshiped God together. That means that the foundation pathway is to reject these two. Don't be unwise, don't be drunk. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ask and pray and believe and receive. Worship. When we get together, what it might, you know, my wife is the perfect, perfect example of this. She's a worshiper. She's not a singer. She would never get it one time. 
The bridge broke, everything went silent in the room and she kept singing and she was like, oh my God, I'm singing in front of the whole church. And we picked back up the chords, it was awesome. But she's a worshiper in our home. She fills our home with the atmosphere of worship. She, she wants to listen to worship music on the way to date night. I'm like, come on, man, let's put on some good tunes. And she's like, you're worthy of it all. And I'm like, this isn't the vibe I was going for. What? She's like, just go with it. I'm like, okay. Be a worshiper. Sing songs of praise. You want to have good relationships, be filled with his spirit and worship. Then it goes on and it says, do give thanks to God. So start being filled with gratitude. So if, if, if songs of praise is, is worship, give thanks to God sounds a lot like prayer. So now all of a sudden our pathway is reject, un, uh, uh, don't be unwise, don't be drunk, but be filled with his spirit. Start being a worshiper. Start praying and seeking and speaking because why? Because prayer is your power source. It's the pathway, it's the tether, it's the connection piece between the eternal and the, and the finite moment that you're sitting in. Be giving thanks always, because if you have a heart of gratitude, it's hard to grumble. And so all of a sudden, you start thinking about how we're gonna approach our marriages, how are we gonna approach our kids, how are we gonna approach our workplace, we're gonna be filled with the Spirit, we're gonna worship God, we're gonna pray, and then finally it says, submit yourselves to one another in the fear of God. Humble yourself, because why? Pride will destroy every relationship you've ever thought about having. There is not one single moment as a pastor I can think where pride was the right posture of heart for a relationship to thrive. It just, it can't work. Now don't, don't, don't confuse pride with confidence or pride with conviction. Some people are going to hold a line, that's right and good, but pride says my way over his way every day. My way over this, I, this isn't the pathway to that. I know the pathway to a good marriage and it's blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, your marriage looks great from here. It's like, no, if you wanna have a healthy marriage, which we're gonna continue to talk about, you wanna have a healthy family, you wanna have a healthy workplace, it starts with being filled with the spirit and being, being a worshiper and then being a prayer and then humbling, submitting myself to one another as we submit mutually to Christ because I can't be on the throne of life and also be submitted to God and submitted to Jesus as my Lord. There's not room up there for both of you. And so if you wanna have healthy relationships, wisdom is gonna say, I'm, I'm laying my will and my ways and my rightness and my, all my pride, I'm laying that down in submission to Jesus first. And when we see those four do's and we reject those two don'ts, all of a sudden I think we're seeing a pathway to abundant relationships come forth. And the question we have to return to constantly is are we going to be our way or his? Because nobody in their natural place, nobody in their natural state chooses this. This doesn't make sense to the natural, it's foolishness to those that are perishing. 
but to those that love and serve God. This all of a sudden is a, it's an, you can't not do it. If you reject any of these, it's gonna make those impossible. So our, our posture can't be, well, I'll take what I like, you know, kind of a buffet line. I like a little bit of wisdom, but man, I kind of like my booze. And I, you know, da, da, da. it's like, you can't pick and choose. You know, I'm into the, uh, I like praying a little bit. I'm not a worshiper. I don't, you know, somebody made fun of me once. And I don't know about that spirit thing. I'm a Baptist. It's, I'm sorry, I shouldn't, have, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. That's, we're all here together. That's terrible. Forgive me. But the truth is, is you can't, we can't pick and choose, right? We can't, t- we can't go, well, yeah, yeah, I know that it's in there, but I don't want it. It's like, no, we've got to go, man, I'm here. I want to be filled with your spirit. It doesn't have to look some, just me and you, God. Fill me up again. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to sing songs of praise. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing songs to you. I'm going to, I'm gonna get out of my flesh and into the spirit. I'm gonna praise your holy name. I'm gonna keep a conversation where I express my gratitude and I express the fact that you're God and I'm not and I need your power to operate. I need your power to love. I need your power to lay down my life because my next step is to submit myself first to you before I approach loving someone else. And when that happens, we start to see God move in one person's life and another person's life and, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people's life. And we start to see relationship come to life and birth in such a way where community is born and real, authentic, New Testament, modern church is alive and well and we see the world start to take notice and say, what's different about them? And we get to say, it's all about Church, my exhortation and encouragement today is that we would indeed embrace the things God has said, that we would would see this and say, okay, I'm not gonna be unwise. I'm not gonna be drunk on much wine, which is dissipation. I wanna know the will of God for my life. I wanna greet one another with spiritual songs. I wanna give thanks to God. I wanna submit myself to one another in the fear of God of God, and then I want to build my community and relationships upon that solid rock of foundation and watch and see what God might do. Amen, somebody? Amen and amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for giving me, for making fun of people. Really feel bad for that one. Father, would you help us to look past the brokenness of communication and hear the heart of God this morning. Would you help us to embrace, to be filled with your spirit, to be worshipers, prayers, and humble men and women as we approach one another with gentleness and grace. We love you and honor you and invite you to have your way in this house. Thank you for four great years. We're praying for many more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. First time guests, visitors in the lobby, and make sure you grab some sheet cake or not an ice cream cone, snow cone, that's what those are called. God bless y'all, have a great week.